Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks coming to you this cold Thursday morning to talk to you about cooperatives who may be able to warm your soul for the future. Uh, This morning, we have Mr. Bruce Reynolds with us. He's from the United States Department of Agriculture and their rural development. And he is a program leader in their cooperative programs. But I want to wish everybody a happy new year. This is the first program for this new 2015. And I'm very pleased to have Mr. Bruce Reynolds in the studio with us. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Vernon. So can you tell me how you got started in co-ops? Well, I, um, after graduate school, I had uh, I originally studied uh, history and was very interested in agricultural history. And then I, I studied um, economics. And uh, so I was an entry-level economist at uh, USDA. And after about five months working in the Foreign Agricultural Service, I started with the um, cooperatives, what was called the um, Farmer Cooperative Service. And this is in, uh, this was 1978. Mm. So I've had a long career there with cooperatives since 1978. And, you know, with the, or, our agency has been merged and reorganized uh, throughout its history. But we go back a long time. We were started by the uh, Agricultural Marketing Act of 1926, and that was under the Coolidge administration. And I think that they were they were a very pro-business, uh, kind of small government kind of approach. And they they thought that that cooperatives, and at that time, agricultural cooperatives were pretty significant numbers. Uh, you know, there were probably. Um, Maybe over you know twenty thousand or, or more cooperatives back then, and uh, actually about around twelve thousand or so, and um, they thought that this would be a way the people of self-help people could you know do it themselves and kind of a grassroots movement, and it wouldn't require uh, big government support. And as we know, mostly in agriculture, you know the government has had a major role in, in helping farmers, but. I think the idea of having cooperatives there would be that they could do a lot of um, help, self-help with the farmers themselves, operating businesses, controlling the marketing and the, uh, their farm supplies. And um, it, um, I think it's had a positive impact, and uh, our agriculture has prospered, and cooperatives, uh, farmer cooperatives have made a great contribution towards that. Now, in recent years... Our agency has been, we were moved under the uh, Clinton administration into rural development. And we sort of had started a process of broadening our approach, uh, looking at other types of cooperatives, even, you know, housing to some extent. Uh, more so in this movement of local food and food hubs, food cooperatives. And, and some of these are multi-stakeholder where you have farmers and you have um, 
the workers and, and, the, and like a, a food co-op or and consumers. And that's where you get the multi-stakeholder. And um, that's been a big part of our work lately. And we have grant programs and we administer grants to support uh, both uh, food co-ops and other types of uh, food businesses. And we also have grants to support centers, which do uh, some research, but they do the sort of consulting and technical assistance to help people start up cooperatives. And they're called Rural Cooperative Development Centers, and we have special grants for them. And this is work that my agency, we used to do directly. When I, when I came on in 1978, we had about 120 uh, staff people who just went out, traveled around the country helping uh, merge farmer cooperatives or start up new farmer cooperatives. And I did that work for about 22 years, organizing cooperatives. But now, So you went around the world, around the U.S.? Yeah, organizing all over the U.S., yeah, not internationally, okay. but in rural areas. And gradually, though, they, they've cut that back. They didn't want, you know, somebody like me just traveling out to Texas or whatever and setting up co-ops. They wanted to do it locally. And so they established these rural cooperative development centers that in various states, they get support from their states, they get support from us in terms of grants and in terms of um, other co-ops within their state. And, uh, and so they're kind of like, the go-to place if you want to start a co-op in a rural area. Now, some of these centers, they also work in urban areas as well, but our grant funding has to be restricted to their work in, uh, in rural areas. And um, I, the, uh, another area that has been uh, important now that we're expanding and I've been working on is small rural businesses. And we have this sort of baby boomer generation that uh, in the you know post World War II era that people started businesses in rural areas, and many of them are family owned, and they're up in you know retirement age, and we want to try to preserve a lot of these businesses because they mean a lot to the small towns. If you lose a business, it uh, it really hurts the employment in the town, and. Um, so we've had, um, what I've been working on recently, we've always had in our rural uh, development area, we've had a grant, uh, I'm sorry, a loan guarantee program called the Business and Industry Loan Guarantees. And these loan guarantees can be for, you know, infrastructure in a local area, water systems, and uh, a, a variety of things. And one of the uses has been that if a business was going to be sold, the, the new uh, buyers could get a loan guarantee, and that often made it feasible for them to get a loan from a bank because the loan guarantee goes to the bank. So then they're protected as much as 80 or 85% if the loan fails. But the restriction they've had on, on this was that it had to be a one-time deal. The original owners, once the settlement date is, is had in the transaction, they have no remaining interest. They have to completely sell out and then the new owners pay them off with the loan backed by a loan guarantee. It's a single transaction. Well, that doesn't work very well if you want to transition your business like to your employees or your workers. And there's been a lot of interest in that and a lot of ideas of uh, the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives has promoted uh, this idea of succession of, of businesses to the workers. And uh, the Ohio Employee Ownership Center 
um, in, in Ohio, and um, one of their directors who passed away a few years ago, John Logue, had come to USDA and visited with us about making the loan guarantee in smaller increments. So you could do a series of them. And then the, the owners would stay within the business and they could organize as a cooperative. And then the employees would learn how to run the business. And then they would gradually um, pay, pay out whatever the agreed upon value of the business is to the uh, original owners. And then finally, the last loan guarantee would be the final payment and then the individuals would retire and then the employees would have a fairly you know reasonable loan to pay off to finally become owners of the business and we think it's a good way to preserve uh, businesses and uh, that was um, we had the the rules on it were the proposal proposed rules were published in the federal register uh, in October uh, or actually in September and it closed in in November November 15th, the comment period. And now we have um, about 280 or so comments. Uh, actually, on the um, regulations.gov for the Federal Register, there were 231 comments. There might have been some that were delivered by mail. Um, but out of that, 183 comments were directed just to this particular provision for cooperatives because the, the rules covered other aspects of the loan guarantee program not related to cooperatives, but the interest level was very strong. And so uh, we're going to be putting it into final and then it'll, and hope to get clearance through OMB sometime this summer. And then we'll have this program in place. And again, it, you know, unfortunately, it's only limited to rural communities. Um, my hope is that um, there was a, a cooperative uh, development uh, propose an act that was um, uh, proposed by Congressman Fata, who is uh, in the uh, Philadelphia area, is his uh, district, and he's uh, in the House of Representatives. And Congressman Fata's uh, cooperative um, uh, program that he's proposing would be uh, located in HUD, the Housing and Urban Development. And the idea would be that they would. Uh, they would have an agency somewhat like my what my agency was or has evolved into, but you know we're, we're getting quite smaller and um, this would be a nationwide program where they would provide you know grants to support uh, centers and support co-op development. They could you know provide loan guarantees. Um, they could provide research and technical assistance uh, help in, in planning various types of worker co-ops, consumer co-ops, and another big area that uh, we worked on. Well, you know, yeah. Bruce, you have said a lot, and I want to go back and break some of it yeah. down to make sure that people understand. But the first thing I wanted to t say is, uh, and I try to give you a definition of a co-op, a co-op is any business that you can think of. Uh, normally, the different co-ops depends on who owns the business and what kind of business it is. For instance, um, if the employees own it, then it's called a worker co-op. Very, very, very simple. If the employees own it and control it, it's called a worker co-op. If the people that use the product or services own the business, then it's a consumer co-op. And examples are credit unions or housing co-ops. In these two examples, the consumer owns the business. In the credit union, 
the consumer, the people that put their money in are the owners of the business, and then they elect a board of directors who control and govern the business. So, you, yeah, those are the two major types of co-ops. And then in the farmer co-ops, as, as an example, they have the purchasing co-ops where they join together and they buy goods, and we've had a number of people on the program talking about that. Um, and if they are selling their product, producer co-ops? Uh, they tend to call them um, marketing co-ops. Marketing co-ops. Yeah. Um, there, sometimes people, they didn't want to, well, they are producers, um, but they didn't want to sort of conflate it with an actual, around, the, in various parts of the world, there are actual agricultural production co-ops where they collectively produce. Okay. But in the U.S., it's been more the individual uh, operates their farm enterprise, um, and they're the, like, sole or family owns the farm, and then they, they band together for the, the purchasing side and then the marketing, marketing their grain, their cotton, or dairy, uh, uh, milk production, and which are, is very big in the U.S. You know, cooperatives. If you have a question or comment for uh, Bruce Reynolds or myself, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876. If you have any questions or comments, we'd appreciate a call in at 1-800-450-7876. And National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. Good morning. This WOL traffic update is brought to you by Prince George's Community College. On outbound New York Avenue, they're back again today working. The utility construction is outbound New York after the 3rd Street Tunnel before North Capitol Street. Only the left lane gets by, slowing you down out of the 3rd Street Tunnel once again and leaving Mount Vernon Square on outbound New York Avenue. Prince George's Community College offers affordable and convenient degree programs and continuing education classes. Day, evening, weekend, or online. Spring classes begin January 20th. Enroll at pgcc.edu. Now your WOL weather forecast brought to you by TrueCar.com for today. Partly cloudy, windy, and cold highs in the 20s tonight. Mainly clear down to 10 degrees for tomorrow, a sunny day with a high only near 24. TrueCar.com's changing car buying forever. TrueCar.com users get negotiation free, guaranteed savings, save time, save money, never overpay. Visit TrueCar.com today. Steve Hershorn for News Talk 1450 WOL, where information is power. Information is power. WOL says that all the time, and we totally agree with it. That's the reason that the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program, is to give you information so that you can perhaps start a co-op or join a co-op. One of the most, which Bruce and I were talking about during the break, is that one of the distinguishing factors about a cooperative is its users. The users are the ones that have the total control of the cooperative. There are seven principles in co-op, and the first one is volunteer and open membership. And that, that's a number of reasons I like all seven of these principles are, are part of it and that it doesn't make any difference about your race or your gender or how much education you have or your wealth. If you become a member, you, it's the, the co-ops are open to uh, any, anybody and everybody. It's democratic member control is the second principle. There's members' economic participation. 
And that means that often you have to buy in. If, if you are in a credit union, you have to put some money in. If you're in a housing co-op, you have to pay your monthly fees. Um, if you, we had Equal Exchange on, which is a worker co-op um, during the Christmas uh, in December, and there was a $3,500 buy-in that everybody had to pay in in order to become a member. But also, and when Dame Pauline Green was on, from the president of the International Cooperative Alliance, she made sure that I mentioned this, is that there's a, if there's a payoff, if at the end of the day there's more money brought in than spent, then that payoff can be, and the members will decide this, can be divided up between the members. And Equal Exchange, they they divided 40% of what they, their profit was to the members. Um, so you get this members' economic participation both ways. There's a buy-in, and then there's a share-in of the profits. It's autonomous and independent. And a lot of times, if, if the co-op borrows money, it has to be made sure that in those uh, loan documents that the co-op still has the control and not the bank. And again, Dame Pauline Green brought up that in a lot of countries, the the governance, the government wants to get in and tell the co-op how it operates. And she said that's changing a lot, particularly in Africa. So the co-ops have the autonomy and independence. And the the first reason I like co-ops is their fifth principle, and that is education, training, and information. It's constantly training. And I like that you take everyday people and you give them the education they need to run a business. And working cooperatively, they can run this business and use each other's skills to make it successful. Where if you wanted to start a business uh, individual, you're only talking about one person. But if five people get together, you got five people with five sets of skills that can get together and get some training and run the business. And it's a better chance of success once they learn how to work cooperatively. The sixth one is cooperation among cooperatives. Equal Exchange talked about that. They bought from smaller farmers throughout the world, and they had fair trade, gave them a fair price, and then they sold to a lot of co-ops, particularly food co-ops. So they had a three-folder three of cooperatives. They bought from them, and they sold to them. Cooperation among cooperatives. And then the seventh one is concern for community. And you got in the, in the co-op DNA is this, concern for community. So they don't necessarily need a division for corporate responsibility because they're, they're mostly, um, I would say developed or started up to solve some community problem, whatever that problem is. And we've had a number of different people talking about the different problems that existed. Papa Sin was on and said when he was in Senegal, he moved into the city where the suburbs, there were no housing. So they created a housing co-op. And then they, they could not get people to school uh, in the city or to work, so they started a transportation co-op uh, and bought a couple buses so they could move people around. Then as it, as it grew, then they decided they wanted their own education, so they called it, started an education co-op. Okay, And so every time that there was a need, they would start a co-op to fill that need. And so and there was a consistent concern for community and an environment and green. So co-ops are wonderful uh, organizations for the everyday person to get the skills that they need to solve their own problems. And that's why I like them a lot. What do you have to say about that? Vern, I really like your discussion there. I mean, it explained how it's, it's really co-ops come out of the community and they, they're, you know, a grassroots uh, movement and, and they develop in the community. They're not, like centrally planned 
you know, from the capital city, and it's it's the people who are in control, and then they they identify what really are their important needs, mm-hmm. and then meet them like what you said, and and a lot of what co-ops are, it's it's kind of a, a business and a service entities that have they're driven by principles, and you could say to some extent ethical principles like the open membership and and the democratic control, and and then on the on the part in the principles of education training i think coupled with that is just the transparency of okay. cooperatives yep. like if you're in the co-op the members have a vote they vote what just it's just one member one vote one member one it's vote. not based on your any shares like in corporate uh, corporations and you elect the board of directors and the board of directors is from the membership and the business is transparent. People know what's going on. And so, you know, there's not this, you know, suspicion of are, are we going to get fired today or, or, or is the business going to move to China? You don't have any of that. Because or what's happening to the money because yeah. they can see it. Right. You, they, you share control, it. they share it. You control the business and it gives you a sense of stability. And then there's a lot of things about the principles that I think will support the community, it's good to community in the future. I think with housing cooperatives, the limited equity uh, cooperative is that, you know, you share in the equity. They have a, there's like a blanket mortgage over the property, and you you can benefit from that equity that you get in, in your share paying off that large blanket loan. And then when you – if you decide to move and you leave the housing co-op, you get a, a what's called a return – but it's not a market-based return. It's a limited return, and that's what keeps the housing affordable. So this is people acting together in a, co- in a housing cooperative to sustain affordable housing for the future. And it's a principle that it's in some ways I, – I often – I wrote an academic article one time called uh, Cooperative Principles as Constraints for Public Goods. And – Many of the, in the co-op community thought, well, you shouldn't use that word constraint. But what I was really getting at is that in a, in a free market society, which is good, it generates a lot of wealth and it's good, but it's not the, it's not the only way to operate. In some sectors of our economy, you know, we need cooperatives to give people control and stability. And in the, in the worker cooperatives, um, as and Vernon had mentioned about, you return any profits. They go back to the members in the worker cooperative. But, and, and that's true for farmer cooperatives. All the money is eventually returned. So what economists say, well, you don't have permanent capital. So to deal with that, they often have reserves. They have a reserve, and that gives them their permanent capital so they can go to a bank and get a loan because the, the banks are reluctant to loan to you if the equity you have is going to be revolved back to the members. You have a commitment to return that to members. But if you set up a reserve, you have that permanent capital. And, uh, and worker cooperatives and farmers use that to deal with when business is down and the economy is not doing well, they can survive during the low points with their reserves. Now, when business is really good, the reserves can build up and they can be really valuable. Now, some people uh, decide they want to demutualize, and and that's been a movement that that in in the um, principles of the ICA International Cooperative Alliance they have what are called indivisible reserves, 
and if they're very big in Italy and France and other countries where, and in the U.S. worker cooperatives as well, the the indivisible reserve means that, let's say you be, you create a very profitable business, and um, that happened like in agriculture, Rockingham Poultry Cooperative, it began to uh, Diamond Walnut was a cooperative. I'll, I'll use the Diamond Walnut example. It became so popular that people decided, well, let's just demutualize. And so they've lost that cooperative. Now the growers are struggling in California to bargain for a better price for their walnuts. So demutualize means that they they, they took their money out? It becomes privatized, yeah, and then investors buy it. So the investors see that a co-op is based on users, the consumers, the farmers, the workers who use the co-op. But other businesses have investor owners who don't really use the thing. They just have an investment position. So when they demutualize, they you sell it off to investors, and then and then you get a one-time profit, and then it's but then it's gone for the future. Yep. So so the indivisible reserve can keep these businesses going in the future because if you if you decide to sell the business, if you're a worker cooperative and it becomes really pro- profitable, and you decide to sell it. The indivisible reserve goes to charities, and so you, you or to co-op development, and you can't capture it. And it's such a big part of the business that it, it it's a disincentive to demutualize. Okay. And then on the other side, when you're doing poorly, it helps you survive. You know, um, when you're talking about limited equity co-ops, there was a study done on a co-op in Atlanta called Wildwood. Um, 250-unit cooperative had been had been in business for 40 years. Um, the return on the investment that somebody put in, and that investment was normally about the equivalence of a security deposit, one month's rent. It could have been two months' rent, but that return was like 7.1%, and they figured that that was a better return they could have gotten anywhere else. So it ended up being profitable because I used to think that because it was limited equity, that it was bad for the people. and But it turned out that they had a better return than they would have gotten anywhere else. And I argue because of the people there, they probably wouldn't have saved anything. So, but And it also, because there was a write-off, uh, you write off your, proper, your property taxes and interest, each individual gets that write-off. That did not include that. The other major piece, when you talk about over time, because there's not the profit motive and because people take better care of the property once they understand their owners, that the, the expenses go down. And so the, the cost for rent in, at Wildwood was like $500. An apartment down the street was seven or $800. If you took all of those savings plus the, the – it just turned out this tremendous, tremendous wealth building in, in a co-op. And we're going to take another break. Uh, we'll be right back talking to to uh, Bruce Reynolds from the U.S. Department of Agriculture about cooperatives. We'll be right back. Fourteen fifty WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Cooperative. We're talking to you about cooperatives and how they, in agriculture, how they got started in the 1920s. Um, listen, um, Mr. Bruce Reynolds is with us today with cooperation programs of USDA Rural Development, and he's a program leader. He's been there for 37 years with uh, Department of Agriculture. He's an economist by training. Um, you were telling us about rural cooperative development centers. Uh, where, where are they and how do people find out where they are? Yeah, a, a rural cooperative development center 
is a, uh, an, an organization that will um, work with uh, citizens in their surrounding communities to help them start a co-op or to help them if, they're, you know, if they need to improve their financing or they need uh, some type of feasibility study or, or uh, you know, the currently existing co-ops will work with them to, to give them the kind of consulting that they need or they'll start up if a community or a group of people want to start a, a new co-op, uh, either a farmer co-op or, or a consumer co-op or worker co-op. And these centers are um, my, and I'm not really sure about this, but I think one of the um, models for the Rural Cooperative Development Center goes back to the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistance Fund which is uh, located, uh, well, in Georgia and in Epps, Alabama, during the 1960s. And at that time, there, were, um, there was a fair amount of ownership by, of land uh, by, by black farmers, and they were losing it rapidly. And they wanted to they organize co-ops to help you know, uh, retain the ownership of these uh, farms. And they have done an excellent job, and they're still operating today. Ralph Page is the director. And they provide training, technical assistance. And many of the other, um, you know, they were kind of doing the work that my agency did as well, but they were doing it, you know, at the grassroots level. And I think many people were looking at uh, um, uh, the, the uh, federation, the state councils up in Wisconsin and Minnesota, a man by the name of Neil Struen was kind of looking at that at the uh, Federation of Southern Cooperatives, and he thought, you know, this is something we should have throughout various other states, and we could assist the local people in setting up cooperatives. And so then it fell. Uh, they got it passed in Congress to support rural cooperative development centers, you know, funding an appropriation, annual appropriation. And uh, my agency sort of administers we we ad- administer the proposals that come in we you know and help evaluate them and then we um award these grants to these different centers and they're pretty much all around the, the country um there's some real excellent ones around they just do uh you know tremendous work and they tend to get funded year after year some of the ones that are just trying to get started it takes them a while to learn about doing significant uh, cooperative work. And, uh, but then, you know, what we, we try to encourage new ones to form. So that's an annual appropriation. It's called a, a Rural Cooperative Development Grant that they can receive. And, uh, and as I had mentioned earlier, the centers also have other sources of uh, uh, funding as well. Um, so it's... Uh, you know, it's, it's been a good program, and it's really been a, a substitute for the decline of, of the people we had in Washington in my agency. You know, they were, you know we, we, we used to do that work, but now it's, it's, it's better perhaps to have people out in the, in, in, in the, throughout the states who can do it at the local level. So, you know, D.C. is urban, yeah. but if somebody is on that's listening, where would they go find out where, is, where these um, – Development, well, if, corporate development um, centers are. Yeah, there's. You can go to um, uh, the uh, USDA um, dot gov uh, website, then go to rural development, 
And then when you're in rural development, you'd have to go to RBS, Rural Business Cooperative Programs. And then from there, you go to the cooperative programs, and then there'll, there'll be um, listings of our various programs. And the, uh, under the grants, the, um, we have value-added grants, and then we have the Rural um, Cooperative Development Center grants as well. And you'll see that on there. And it will list the ones who are funded. Another place to look is on the web page is Cooperation Works. If you, if you put in Cooperation Works, probably dot co-op, C-O-O-P. And Cooperation Works also, um, that's a, an organization, actually a cooperative that was formed of all these different centers. And, and they work together. Sometimes they might have a, a multi-state project and they'll work together on it. They work on training and, and education, and um, so they uh, and, and and a big supporter I should add on education cooperatives today is the farmer cooperative called CHS, which is the biggest. I think it's the biggest farmer cooperative in the world, certainly in the U.S. And uh, CHS Foundation does a tremendous job of uh, you know even working with these cooperative development centers and and working with universities on cooperative education, and they've put out a lot of initiatives. Um, at the University of Maryland, I think there's the Democracy Collaborative, and they work with um, and then participate a little bit with Cooperation Works, and, um, and uh, they are involved in that group. And then there's the Association of Cooperative Educators. It's called ACE. It's the acronym ACE, Association of Cooperative Educators. And all, all their members are also members of Cooperation Works, and they're people who are from these different state-level uh, rural cooperative development centers. And um, uh, the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives has gotten a grant from us, too. And so, But again, it's supposed to be used only in rural areas, but they themselves work in urban areas with worker cooperatives. Now, who got the grant? Well, the U.S. Federation of uh, Worker Cooperatives. Okay. They got a rural cooperative development grant, and um, but of course, by by our rules, they're supposed to use it only in what are defined as you know rural areas. That money, but they have other sources of uh, funding. And they will help set up uh, cooperatives. You know, you've got a wealth of knowledge. I've just been taking notes. Um, Ralph Page uh, was on the program on this program. He's from the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. He's their executive director. He was on Thanksgiving a year ago. Um, yeah. Not this past Thanksgiving, but uh, November of 13. And Cornelius Blanding from Federation of Southern Cooperatives has also been on the program. You know, um, but I'm I'm quite interested in this cooperation works and the Association of Cooperative Education. I didn't know educators. any. Educators. Yeah. And I, Canadian and, and Puerto Rican members are also a big part of, of Association of Cooperative Educators do a lot of work and a lot of members in, in uh, Puerto Rico. I've created four goals for me for the rest of my life. At growing up, I never knew what I wanted to be. People would ask, what do you want to be when you grew up? And I, I don't know. I shrugged my shoulders. And it's only in the last five years I've decided that I will, for the rest of my life, promote co-ops. <laughs> okay, that's number one. And number two is I'm a, with a group of us, we're developing housing co-ops, both limited and marketing. <clears throat> and the third one is, that's why I like what you've, I've 
learned a couple ones is in education. My personal goal, I've taught school for 12 years, uh, 11 at the college level, teaching marketing and mathematics. And I like, um, I would love to be able to see a degree program called, I got an MBA, maybe it's it's a master's of business administration, maybe it's a cooperative master's of business administration. Uh, somewhere here in the U.S. with a school or uh, starting a school. Um, But getting somebody really involved in teaching this cooperation to younger people. Uh, A a professor at um, Southern New Hampshire University, uh, Christine Clamp, um, she had a program like that, and it was a master's level program on cooperatives, uh, management of cooperatives, and uh, she trained a lot of people who are today leaders of uh, food cooperatives and, and others. And um, I, I don't know the, the, the current status of the program. Um, you know, it's always with the university. you got to, you know, try to keep it going uh, and, and funded. And, uh, but she's done, has been a pioneer in doing that at the academic uh, level of universities. Most universities really don't have, like you've mentioned, they've been very weak on, on cooperative education. I've said on this program a dozen times, I got my master's from Stanford University that's very well known and prestigious. I never heard the word cooperative. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you may talk about cooperation or team building or something like that, but not in the not in the context of there's this whole n- other business model. The whole model that, of teaching, at I graduated in 76, so the whole model of teaching then and maybe now is what is the return on investment to the shareholders? So that your decision basis, your your model was what's best for the person that has invested the capital, not what's best for the workers, not what's best for the customers. Oh, that you you talked about it, but that wasn't the main focus. Where in, in a cooperative, the main focus is if it's a worker cooperative, what's best for the worker and the customer. Because if you don't do what's best for the customer, <laughs> the workers won't make any money. Right. So it's it's sort of automatic. It's in like yeah. I said in the DNA. Yeah, you 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 don't want to make it be so individualistic that you you don't have that participation and care of others, you know, and, and a co-op is a sort of a structured, organized way of having solidarity with your members and working with others and giving people a stable way to live. There's a lot of qualitative uh, values that go into uh, operating a cooperative, but, you know, they are competitive businesses and you know, that's their number one goal. They have to be competitive. But at the same time, with the rules and principles they work under, they generate these kind of benefits to the whole community. You know, the other thing that I really like about cooperatives, and I've, when you go to a work a conference with cooperators, you find out that they share information. It's just give it away. How can you know, get a bunch of treasurers together and they talk about, well, we had this problem. This is how we solved it. You don't have this competitive environment of I, I've got knowledge and I won't share it with you because then you can go get my business. It's just the opposite is how do we help each other grow? How do we help each other be successful? Yeah, there is a lot of that, of that sharing. It, it, and, and I think, you know, they, they have a sense that there we're, we'll be better off as a cooperative if other cooperatives begin to to grow and prosper and more people will learn about them and then people will be willing to be members and participate and so I think there's that commonality of they want to see other cooperatives succeed they don't want to and sometimes it gets down to if you're a a real you know 
sort of a cynical uh, economist, you might say, well, they're not competing directly. They might be in a different market. Mm. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, in agriculture, I've seen some farmer cooperatives, you know, compete pretty severely with one another. And then sometimes they end up merging and, you know, and then they, you know, will start working together again. But, you know, generally, though, they they are very open and, and like you said, and, and sharing and they're they're just they're not trying to advance anybody's you know individual you know agenda. They're just trying to make the the co-op and its members successful. And that the road to that is to you know just work with others and and partner and share ideas. And you know they're complicated enterprises to operate. So they 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 get that help from one another to be able to navigate these businesses through very difficult economic times. The um, when I say I love co-ops is being in boardrooms with everyday people making decisions, limited equity co-ops. You may not have anybody with uh, at best you'd have a high school education, and you watch decisions and how they grapple with information, and they make decisions what's best for the group as opposed to what's best for the individual, and that's what happened over more and more and more and more, which I like them. We're going to take another break. Uh, Bruce, the hour goes by fast. We only have one more segment, so we'll be right back to talk to you about everything cooperative, and perhaps you can find some information here to give you the power to go out and start your own cooperative. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. News updates on the web at woldcnews.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks talking to you about everything cooperative. You know, the National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program. Uh, the National Cooperative Bank was developed in the mid-'80s by Congress to provide um, financing for cooperatives. And they have a very, very tough job because they they are working in communities that are economically deprived, and most Communities that I grew up in or most African-Americans live in are communities that are economically deprived or Latin Americans and Native Americans. So they have to be able to go in and find individuals and they even end up investing in the individuals that's creating the co-op and, and the business and how much knowledge they have. Because most bankers, they look for how much capital you have. If you if you fail the, the making the loan, then they want to be able to go and grab something that you have to replace that money that they loaned you. Where in a lot of times in economically deprived communities that uh, the National Cooperative Bank was designed to help, that capital is not formed. So they have to look at something else, and that's the individuals. And and coming together as a cooperative and trying to figure out how you solve the community problems and getting the information you need, the training and the education information you need so that a cooperative can be successful is what they would be looking for to make the, the different types of loans, whether those loans are with housing, which they do a lot of, or um, worker co-ops or farmer co-ops, whatever the co-op might be, then they have to make that, that, that choice that, you know, those decisions. And those are not easy decisions. I take my hat off to Chuck Snyder and the people at NCB to be able to make those loans. And they've been very, very successful since they, they've gotten started, that they don't have a lot of loans that go under. And the other nice thing is when we just went through this last um, 
it's called a great recession of 07, 08, there was not a lot of co-ops that went under. And I, w- I suggest that that's because when you get a group of people making decisions, then they would make those kinds of decisions as best for the organization. So they didn't take risky loans, loans that went up in, in uh, the interest rates went up after five, three to five, seven years, which caused the, the uh, recession to happen in the first place. So I really uh, enjoy working with NCB. I'm glad that they're sponsoring their program. They're, they're, they are a great partner to have. And we have Mr. Bruce Reynolds on. And we only have one more segment left, Bruce. So let's, let's go back and talk about, um, well, first, talk about the future. There are 7 billion people on the planet today. And we're estimating that there will be 9 billion, another 2 billion people in the next 25 years. And the question, uh, I don't have those stats for the U.S., but how do we feed all of those people? What what do we do? Named Dame Pauline Green was saying that um, she, the way she saw this is International Cooperative Alliance when she was on saying that the cooperatives are going to be a big part of that, particularly in the world, you know, India and Africa and, and places where you expect China, where you expect the population to, to really grow because there's so many young people. We're in Europe, and now in the U.S., you're getting much more older people. So, as a percentage of the population, so you won't have the same growth. Matter of fact, in, I think in Sweden, it used to, they had a decrease in population. So, uh, what do we do to 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 feed all of these people? Yeah, I think uh, you know it's it's a it's a complicated uh, topic, and, I, and there's going to be a lot of approaches to you know feeding and. You know, preserving our our environment and um, cooperatives, I think, are one part of that. But they're they're just a part of it. But I think they could be a big part of it. I think for a lot of agricultural resources, um, one of the problems you can have is depletion. Like fisheries can be easily depleted, and several cooperatives have been formed to organize a, a sharing of the fisheries and they're kind of like a self-governed areas and or if it's just if they weren't working together then everybody would be trying to outfish you know the next uh, boat but by working together they you know share and then they market their fish together and uh, that's also been in forestry where you you don't want to have deforestation and you can get a lot of uh, small owners to kind of work together to maintain large forest tracks in a, in a more reasonable way if you have everybody, you know, coordinating, communicating together. And grazing um, in, in Africa is very important because you have to manage your grazing, and uh, grazing cooperatives are one way to share and preserve the resources. In the, in the United States, during the Dust Bowl of the, of the 20s, there was overgrazing, these big land, uh, you know, Livestock companies would just unload and graze massive herds, and a lot of the small uh, ranchers were sort of pushed out. And now, um, you know, we have a lot of public land, and then there's controlled grazing, and some of it is by, you know, cooperative grazing associations, and they work really well. In some cases, they even, they don't just use the public land. They've uh, gone out, uh, there's a Chimney Canyon Grazing Association they bought land as a cooperative, the rancher, and they share it and they preserve it by not overgrazing. They have their own rules that the members all agree on. So I think this area of of people working together to conserve 
scarce agricultural resources will be a big part of uh, feeding a growing uh, pop world population. Wait a minute. I, this sounds um, strange that the way you can feed more is by res- reserving. <laughs> the way you, you can get more is is by working together and deciding together we're not going to have a larger, larger crop. So we put rules on how many, how much you have in crops. So you almost put rules on, um, or, or limits on how, how much profit you make. Okay. Because you're saying for the environment, which was number seven concern for the community concern for environment, we're all better off if we make these rules and we all live by them. Yeah. If we, if we don't exploit, you know, scarce resources like, uh, you know, water and, I mentioned fish and these things. They have to, these they have to be managed. And um, if you let the people, the local people, are responsible for it, working in cooperatives, they 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 will do that, you know. And um, so, you know, and that's one answer. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, solutions to various problems. Many of them are technological and everything. But cooperatives are one avenue. I think we can make a, a real impact on our on our world today in terms of uh, climate change and other things, and and it's 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 consonant with the the idea of preserving businesses and uh, trying to maintain them for the future or housing affordable housing. All of that is you know you you participate in as a user, not an investor, but you get a return and you have a, a, a profitable, rewarding life, and then you share something you know you contribute to the future you leave behind a better better world pl- better world and that's that's and i think cooperatives are our way to uh to do that the people from ncba national cooperative business association uh, when they were on they were saying that when they go out in the u they get they get contracts they get government loans not from usda it's or is it from USDA? Um, they, um, as far or as World they, Bank. Yeah. So they, World Bank. they go out and they get, they help people throughout the world. And they said that they've had farmers that would say things like, um, after they've joined the co-op and they would learn how to produce better, um, and working together, they, they were able to produce more and better crops right. so that they could feed their family for the whole year. Right. I mean, it was just, it was, they could sustain the, their families, and right. it's those kinds of things. It's not only do you sustain the world, to sustain the planet by doing things together and conserving what you're talking about. Yeah, all they've over. done a lot of international work. Some of it is funded through the Agency for International Development, and uh, and they've gone out and helped organize co-ops uh, throughout Africa and South America, and you know, providing with the, the technical know-how to improve farming. And for people to share in it and uh, and to protect the environment while they're doing it, and uh, so it's been a good uh, program that they've done at NCBA. When I first started this program, I was trying to figure out how I could get Mr. Obama on to talk about community development, since that's where he came out of. Uh, because it seems like co-ops are an ideal way of develop communities to solve community problems, which we've been talking about. Do you have any sense of? Uh, during one of the breaks, we were talking about this committee that looks like it may form, but how to get the federal government more involved in this co-op and understanding the co-op and how it can help not only the U.S. but the world. 
Yeah, there are. Um, there was in the uh, recent uh, uh, farm bill proposed for an interagency group, which would be headed up by USDA to work with other uh, departments. Um, and you know, and there are, there's an interest in cooperatives in a lot of the different agencies, commerce, um, in Department of Labor. Um, they're working with unions. Our unions have taken an interest in cooperatives now. And, uh, and HUD, um, with its uh, housing, but also consumer co-ops in their overall effort at ur- you know, urban uh, helping urban communities, and and that also ties in with the Congressman Fatah's, uh, you know, uh, cooperative uh, legislation for national cooperative development, and um, and the USDA because of our tradition of working with farmer cooperatives for decades. I guess that's why they want us to take a lead role on it. I I hope people will move on it uh, more than they have. Um, you know, we've been we've, we've had some discussions, but we haven't gone out done the outreach to the other uh, agencies to really get it going yet. So that's something that's still on the back burner, but I hope it moves to the front uh, soon. Well, if there's anything that we can do in the cooperative world to help move it to the front burner, we'd yeah. appreciate it. We only have a 30 seconds or so more to go, so you have any other comments that you well, want to leave I, the you group Well, I wanted with? to just end with, you know, we talked a little about the future. I, I think in many of your listeners might be interested in, the, in a book called Collective Courage, by Jessica Gordon Nemhard, and she documented a history in America of, uh, of the black communities uh, forming cooperatives. And, um, and it's, it's, it's a really fascinating book. It's well-researched. She, came, she found examples of co-ops I had no idea that existed that were formed by uh, black farmers or by you know, black uh, workers and, and consumers, and, and also dealing with co- thought on co-ops that were contributed. Thank you very much, Bruce. That's wonderful. And uh, we'll see you next Thursday when we have Ann Reynolds to no relationship to Bruce uh, from the University of Wisconsin-Owen. Thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful week. News updates on the web at wolddcnews.com.